Well, good morning, Calvary Las Gatas. It's good to be back with you. And um, I wanted to just say thank you. Last week, we talked about the senses and touch and everything else. And even after I was done, someone came up and gave me a big old bear hug. And I just was, that was great. So, um, and then after the service, I was sharing with Danny Bush that, uh, yeah, I'll be at a wedding on Saturday, but I'm going to fly back and I've got everything all set up. And he, he said, John, you can, we can just film. We do it all the time. And I'm like, but we're talking about touch. We're talking about the senses. So uh, I apologize if it seems weird, but we just talked about that last week. But I do want to just continue in the series and uh, bring some uh, encouragement and blessing as we move uh, uh, into the second week of True North. So uh, let's just pray and ask the Lord to honor our time. So if you'd um, join me in prayer, we just commit this time. Father, we thank you for the chance to be together, um, even in video, even um, in remote sites and different things, that you would continue to work with your word um, as you have in just years and generations past. That as we open your word and we look to it, that it um, affects and changes our hearts and minds. It actually causes us to live more like Christ. So we commit that to you and we commit our time to you in this day. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I grew up um, in uh, Southern California. My brother and I, when we were younger in elementary school age on Saturday morning, our classic thing that we would do in the morning is wake up, get your bowl of cereal and turn the TV on before your parents realize you've been watching TV for a couple hours. And one of our favorite um, cartoons that we would watch was the Jetsons. Now, we love the Jetsons. Um, uh, George, Jane, his wife, his boy, Elroy, daughter, Judy, and uh, Astro, the dog. And I would watch that one. And it's interesting to watch it now because you're like, oh my gosh, there's there's some things I think that people have adapted to. But one, I remember one episode specifically where um, uh, when they would sit down for a meal, they would ask them what they wanted or they would, they would you know, the robot Rosie would come in and, and they would give them a pill. And the pill, the pill was the meal. And they would eat a pill and that was it. Um, and, and I've thought about that. I'm like, man, that'd be a great invention because sometimes... My day gets so busy, if I could, just eat, I could just eat a pill and then be done with dinner or be done with lunch or whatever else to move on to the next thing. And I do remember one episode where Astro and Elroy were going to run away and they had their food for the week. And of course, he held it out and Astro ate all the pills in one sloop, swoop. And uh, he said, they're not supposed to last the whole week. And, you know, Astro and his rhyme, Rory, Relroy. Um, so just, I just, I remember that. But I'm thinking about that, that, that idea of what if he had a pill and it would just do the trick? And it's interesting when you think about taste, and we're talking about taste this week. Taste has this unique feature in that um, we have to eat to live, which, which is a given, so between the pathway of food on the table as a source of sustenance to nourishment inside the body, along the journey from table to tummy, there's this crazy game-changing feature called taste that happens inside your mouth. Taste does so much for me personally because I'm a foodie, and uh, my wife is a fantastic cook. I didn't know that before we were married. It was just a bonus 
And I'm just like, man, God is really good to me. Because uh, my wife is such a great, she's like a personal chef and a dessert designer in our home. And she loves to prepare food. It's, it's a thing. And so she'll have her laptop open and she's trying new and exciting um, dishes for us to try. So I just, I feel like I, I'm, I feel like I married up already, but I mean, that just was a game changer for me. And she's always making something and she's always asking what we'd like for dinner. And, and we get to design some sort of masterpiece. And that's more than just sustenance. It's more than just, hey, it's, you know, it's got, you know, all the balance of a good meal. It's more than just nourishment. It's a work of art. It's a symphony. It's a co-creation with the divine that brings tears to your eyes and makes angels sing. Now, my wife's probably not watching this, but I, I, I'm just bragging on her a little bit because that's how much I love her food. Uh, in fact, my wife, um, during the holidays, she has perfected um, toffee to the point where when she's making it, it actually feels like a, it feels like we're, we have a, like a, like it's a drug home because like, you know, the tables are all laid out and she's got sheets of, of toffee and she's breaking it with the stuff and bagging it up and weighing it out. And I'm like, I walk in, I'm like, this feels like a crime scene. I mean, it's just, it's crazy, but she makes the toffee that is, that people ask for around the country. They've asked for my wife's toffee. It's, it's insane. Uh, I know some of you work, uh, you know, I work with some pro athletes and we would have game nights on, on Thursday nights with our family and, and with other players and, and they would come over. And I remember one night we were having game night and one of the players was missing and I came in the kitchen, I saw him in there and he was literally standing by the bowl of toffee, just staring at it. And, he, and then he just, he was just doing this, just one. And I stood there and I watched him for like five minutes because he didn't see me and he's just eating one piece after the next toffee, just straight sugar and butter. And chocolate. I mean, that's the ingredients. See, he's just standing. And then I look at him. He, he's shocked. And he goes, he looked at me. It was like a confession. He goes, John, I, I can't stop. And it was almost like he was going to cry. I can't stop. It was that good. And I mean, that's the kind of food that she prepares. And I could brag on my wife's ability and just seriously, I could seriously talk food all day. Because it's one of the God-given senses that, that brings the outside world, the beauty of God's creation, that which is naturally designed by God to taste into the human experience. It's unique when you think about it. Think about that for a moment. God actually made things in this world with the intention that you would taste it. Like God's making things. I'm like, I would like you to taste that. Bite that. Lick that. You know, it just sounds crazy. But uh, not just to eat it for nutrition and sustenance and survival, but actually pause for a moment and enjoy the flavor. And for us to be able to co-create with God, with cinnamon, mint, cocoa, you name it, God made it and we get to co-create with it and make some sort of the most experimental, flavorful treats known to mankind. Now, when you put it in that context, that all of a sudden it changes to where we're in a position to co-create with God, to create taste, not just sustenance. And it's no wonder that we use so many metaphors that are surrounded by food and flavor and the act of eating into everyday life. I, I call my wife honey. I'm sure many of you do. Honey, and I didn't even think about it until I was writing the sermon. I'm like, when did I start calling her honey? I don't even eat honey that much, but I call her honey all the time. Um, I, I, I'm a meat and potatoes kind of guy. That's been said of me. 
my wife will, will dress up to go out, and I'm like, man, that is a spicy new outfit. Or I remember watching basketball when I was a big Lakers fan, and they had an announcer named Chick Hearn back in the day. And Chick Hearn had a, had a phrase that when a basketball player was trying to do something fancy and then he missed the shot, he would say this, well, the mustard's off the hot dog. Um, cool as a cucumber, piece of cake. He's got a bun in the oven. Just, just affinity and a connection to food, to flavor. That is part of our regular vernacular that we look at it as just like, that's just normal speech. But it's so associated with the sense, the God-given sense of taste. Even negative flavor coincides with negative life experiences. You fought to the bitter end. She's sour grapes. There's poor taste in fashion. Or that seems fishy to me. The list goes on and on. In fact, the Bible is loaded with taste metaphors. We used one last week in Psalm 34, where David's writing, and right in the middle of this Psalm 34, verse 8, he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. First Peter says, like newborn infants, long for, the, for, for, for pure spiritual milk. Um, when Jesus uh, is giving his uh, last supper, he says, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood, which is a metaphor. It's just to say, this is my metaphor. Uh, Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. The idea of taste and flavor is all over the Bible. The Last Supper and all those different things. So taste is this crazy influential sense because uh, it's the only one of the five senses that is directly connected to something that we have to do in order to survive, which is to eat. So I look at that and I even, I even look at even some of the uh, metaphors in Proverbs where he says, uh, where it's sweet and bitter metaphors where it says, you know, desiring the sweet taste of honey is used for desiring wisdom, where he says in Psalm 24, my son, eat honey for you know it's good. Yes, the honey from the honeycomb is sweet to the taste. Know that, and he makes the correlation, know that wisdom is thus for your soul. Or God's word in Psalm 119, he says, how sweet are your words to my taste. Why does he say that? Because it's something that passes through from the outside passes through and you taste it and then it provides something on the inside. He says, yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. You know, the Passover Seder and the bitter herb of uh, the horseradish maor that is eaten to remind them of the bitterness of slavery and all the feasts of Jehovah. They're all over the place. So, so we referenced that passage last week in Psalm 34. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I, what I want to do is uh, uh, look at that passage a little deeper to understand it. So Psalm 34 is an acrostic poem, an acrostic which means that each line of verse begins with a different Hebrew letter arranged in alphabetical order. And the primary purpose of the psalm is to teach these moral laws and lessons about God. And an overarching theme is about God's constant care for his people. And then we get to verse 8 where he invites the readers and he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And when you put it in the context you begin to ask yourself the question, what does it mean to taste and see that the Lord is good? So to taste involves testing or sampling. We talked about this last week. To, and to see involves seeing or understanding and perceiving. So basically, the phrase taste and see literally means to try and experience. David's urging God's people 
to discover the goodness of the Lord by personal trial and experience it for themselves. He doesn't want his readers to merely just take his word for it that the Lord is good. He wants them to actually try it out, to experience and to know for themselves that the fact that God is good. When you think about that, what that is in our modern day is, is, a, uh, is product marketing. Try it, taste it, and see, or we'll give you your money back. We, we feel so confident in this product that you'll love it so much. If you don't love it, try it. Take it home. Take it for a test drive. And this is what is happening in this passage in Psalm 34, that David is really literally saying, sample this out. Don't just jump in, sample. See if it's good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's the ultimate guarantee to sample God and all that he has for you to see if it's really as good as he says it is. So when David says, test and see the Lord is good, he's calling us to figuratively, figuratively take a bite, to try it for ourselves in our own experience, and then to find out how satisfyingly good God is. The Apostle Peter uses the same language in 1 Peter 2, verse 3. He says, uh, you have tasted that the Lord is good. You've sampled this. You've tried it out. Tasting must happen before seeing. That is, our spiritual experiences bring us to spiritual enlightenment or spiritual understanding. So when I begin to experience it, I'm like, wow, wow this is actually a real thing. I've, I've met with people that have recently come to faith. And when you think about all that's in understanding God and working through the Bible and theology and everything else, that is a reason why Jesus says to come like a child and come with this mustard seed faith, this very simple thing, because as you continue in your faith and you continue to grow, you will taste something new. He'll continue to grow you and refine you to where you're like, I didn't know that before. And you continue to grow and understand the magnitude and the size, the, the infinite limit of God's faithfulness and goodness in your life as you taste and see. So for the longest time in my life, when you think about that idea of sampling God's goodness, and the more I, the more I see, the more I sample, the more I see, and more I become more enlightened. For the longest, I was thinking about this. Uh, for the longest time for me, growing up um, in my home, and then going off to college, I, I mean, I said I was a meat and potatoes guy, uh, literally meat and potato guy. Like, I would go and I'd be like, you know, they, my friends would ask me, you know, you want to go, you want to go to this, you want to go to Thai food, or you want to, we're going to go get sushi. And I remember going, uh, I, I, I just, it, I, I wasn't familiar with it, so I said no, always. Because I'm like, I don't know, I don't, sushi, I don't know anything about it. And I just had a perception of what I thought it was. And so I just said, no, I like what I like. And so I'm just sticking with what I am, meat and potatoes. The things that are familiar to me that I know. And I remember my first time to a Thai restaurant when I was in college. Yeah, it took me a while to get there. I go to a Thai restaurant. And so I'm like, all right, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to go. And I'd there were spices and pairings and flavors that I had never experienced in my life. Now, whether you like Thai food or not, take that context and put it in whatever something where you've gone, oh my gosh, I've never tasted this. I've never tried it. I was never interested. And I remember my friend saying, taste, just taste it and see. I mean, it, he, didn't, he didn't even mean it as a biblical metaphor. He was just saying, taste it and see, see if you like it. I, I, I kid you not, my world opened up. Now, if you love Thai food, that's a great thing, or sushi, that's a great thing, because I'm like, 
oh my gosh, this is so good. And the flavor, it's like, it, it is nothing I've experienced. And that's what he's saying. Sample this. When God's saying, taste and see, try this and see. David's saying he wants them to experience what he's experienced so they can know what he's come to know, that soul-sustaining goodness of God. Then Psalm 34 goes on to outline examples of God's incredible goodness to those who take refuge in him. So we're going to take a look at it. So it'll be on the screen uh, behind me, but um, we'll start, we'll look at uh, the first, starting at verse 8, Psalm 34. He says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is he who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. And then he says this in verse 10, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. What he's saying there is he takes care of every need. Um, He takes their, their every need and they lack nothing. And then the lion's reference is unique because the lion is the animal that's known in the kingdom as the one that's self-sustaining. Like at, when, when you look at the food chain, that one's at the top. And they have dominance, fierce nature. They can catch anything. They can kill anything. And he's saying, even if the most sustaining entity grows weak and hungry, I got you. That's what he's saying in that passage. Lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Try it. And then verse, verses 11, 11 through 15. He says this, um, verse 11, Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see good, uh, many good days, keep their, your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. Um, and what uh, what he's saying? Let me see if I'm right. Yeah. And then he says, uh, right? He says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. In this passage, he's speaking of being pro- uh, provided a good life, a long life. And what I believe he's saying here is tasting and experiencing God is a journey with God, and it leads to. And by long life, I look at that as full a full life, a flourishing life. Because it's not this guarantee, oh, if I do these things, I'll have a long life. I think what he's saying is, if you begin to taste and experience and begin to bring that into that, you've tasted God and you've seen his goodness in your life, you begin to live a full life. Not necessarily longevity, although it could mean years, but I see it as full. And then we jump down to verse 17. Verse 17, you see on the, the, the screen, it says, The righteous person may have many troubles. Uh, the right, uh, yeah, the right is verse 20, the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, He saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them, delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. Evil, evil, will, evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. And he's saying, if, uh, here, he, he's saying here that they're through troubles, he saves us from our enemies. He's close to you when you're brokenhearted. 
he's, he's, he's near when we go through tough times. And that's, that's this, this passage where as he's inviting us to journey, to taste and see, to sample and experience God as a refuge. I remember in our family, you know, every family goes through trying times that, are, that, that actually really test you and really draw you into this place where like, I've believed and understood and held on to God being real and present in my life. And then something hard comes along and then you're like, wow, that just got put to the test. Um, I mentioned last week we have seven grandkids when um, our number five, my son's daughter, Azariah, was born. She was just barely a year. And she got something um, that's called infant botulism. And botulism is a is a uh, like a viral disease that that infects you through you ingest it through your lungs and then it what it does is it it kills your nerve platelets and it begins to cause paralysis in the body. So here's the little kid, the youngest in our tribe, sweet little Azariah. All of a sudden, she's just learning how to walk. She's crawling. She's doing all this stuff. She's live and active and doing all these things. And all of a sudden, something's going on, and we can tell because. She she can't hold up her arms. She can't hold up her head. She can't sit up any longer. She can't crawl. And then all of a sudden she can't swallow. And then, and then it's, it's affecting so many different things that we're rushing her to the hospital to discover she was the sixth kid in the country that year to get infant botulism, which is a horrible, horrible disease. And she's, just so you know, she's fully recovered. I have a picture of there on, on the screen there for you to see of, of her when she recovered. And she's five now. There's zero effects of it. But I remember when she was in the hospital, and it was a long journey back, watching her struggle and just being present for her. And then just losing it in the hallway and praying and pleading and saying, God, we're asking you to sustain our family and watching it take us to the deep places to where we had to taste and see. And um, maybe you've gone through something that's hard and maybe you've gone through something that's hard that didn't end very good either. The question is, where, where was God in the presence of that? And to him, for God saying, I'm inviting you into a journey with me. And there's no way around it. You just have to go through it, and I'm here to go through it with you. Whatever that may be, but he invites, the, the key is that he invites us to try, to taste and see. So we're literally in a growing season of sampling and tasting and then experiencing the goodness of God. His comfort, his provision, his healing, his presence, uh, to taste and see that he's good to us. So going back to this idea and this sense of taste and the metaphors and how we experience God took me on this little, literal experience of taste where I began to just do a deep dive and how that plays into my emotional connections and experiences. And I'm thinking through this in the language of tasting and flavor and how we experience God. Two things came up for me, certainly not exhaustive, but just things that came up for me in connection to the natural context of flavor and tasting and the experience of food. First was this. There's something that happens when there's, uh, and you'll see, you, you see it on the screen, mismatched pairing and flavor suppression. Mismatch pairing and flavor suggestion. There's a lot of people that talk about pairing the great things, the great meat and wine or peanut butter and, and, and chocolate. 
You know what I mean? That great taste that is so great together. But there are some things, mixtures, that cause a reaction in the mouth or on the palate, mismatched pairings that can be awful, if not scarring to your emotional psyche. And I would have PTSD for certain foods if they were ever paired together, like chocolate and onions, or mayonnaise and cinnamon, maybe broccoli and strawberry jam, peanut butter and mint. Try some of those things and see how that plays out for your palate. There's some things that should never be mixed together ever. The list could go on and on. The key is they don't go together. They should never be fused into the same thing or co-mingled. And then when it comes to flavor suppression, so when you think about it, mismatched pairings and flavor suppression. When it comes to flavor suppression, that's an entirely different thing. Have you ever done a thing where you've brushed your teeth your mom says, brush your teeth and come down for breakfast. And you brush your teeth and come down for breakfast and you take a big old sip of your orange juice. That's, that's flavor suppression. Scientifically, one flavor can numb parts of your taste sensory, like orange juice. Orange juice isn't any less sweet. It's just the toothpaste or the mintiness has this temporary suppressing of, of the full flavor. So when you think about mismatched pairings and flavor suppression, what comes to mind for me is in James when he talks about in chapter 3 where he says, With the tongue we praise the Lord our Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree and an olive tree bear, a, a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. Like there's an inconsistency and things should not be matched together. Like in, in our spiritual lives, in our walk with God, things that are mismatched and mispaired uh, are, are uh, uh, unequally paired in a way that you're like, these things don't go together. And I think about how it's put in the context of taste and of food and flavor and clean, fresh water and salt water. And he says, brothers and sisters, this ought not be so. And so I think about that in my own life, in my spiritual life. What are the things in my own life, either that I'm saying or I'm doing or whatever else, that has mismatched what God has for me? The pairing of the beauty of God's creation. And then an attitude or an action or something that is counter to that, that causes flavor suppression. Another thing that comes to mind with taste and like taste and see both literally and figuratively is the idea of artificial flavors, artificial flavors. An artificial substance, an artificial flavor is that substance that's giving the impression of the real thing. You know, when we, when my wife goes to um, Costco, Whole Foods and Trader Joe's, that's the grocery trifecta in our family, which is probably some of you going, yeah, me too. Uh, when we go to those things and we'll go shopping and my job is to push the cart and stay close, but don't nick her heels. And so I'm always pushing the cart nearby and she is always reading the back of the box, checking the labels, understanding what's put in the food. Always when we go shopping, I'm putting things in the basket. This seems good. And she says that has artificial flavor. And and my mind, I'm like, yeah, but it tastes good. 
And she says, we don't, we don't eat artificial flavor because it's not real. It's made to give the likeness and an impression of the real thing. Think about that for a minute. My wife's a purist, and our, our family eats super clean, and that's a value in our home. But if you think about it, what artificial flavors in our spiritual life, artificial flavors where we think we are experiencing the goodness of God, but it's been substituted for something that's cheap. It's substituted for something that is fake. It's substituted that something that is not really of God. And there's a discerning process. In fact, throughout the whole Old Testament, idols were a cheap substitution for the real thing. And what are the idols today or the things that we are substituting, what we allow into our lives that is artificial flavor? I, I, I look at this passage where Paul talks about this very thing in the book of Romans. He says, he says, for although they knew God, Romans chapter 1, verse 21, says, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. He's talking about gods, statues, things that were a cheap imitation. They exchanged the truth for a lie, he says in verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator. I'm just, uh, in this passage, he's talking about sexuality. And it could, and, and, but, but in context, it could actually literally fit so many other things that are artificial for who we are and the things that we take in. So when we think about artificial food from a health standpoint or a purist standpoint, are we thinking the same thing in our spiritual lives? Are the things that are not of God, are the things that are um, outside of or trying to represent something that isn't really pure for me? And the Bible talks about it in Philippians 4, where it's pure and lovely and of good report, these things that God has created, let's dwell on those things and not these things of the world. So I wanted to uh, give you some, a challenge and some thoughts. I'm going to give you five different points that I ask you to write down um, as it relates to the idea of taste and how it plays into the metaphor of the Christian life. So five different things I'm going to have you write down, and then we'll close our time together. So the first one is this. It's just kind of some action items. First one is, is a starting point of an action point for you. <clears throat> is to cleanse, write this down, to cleanse your palate. To cleanse your palate. Anytime when they do food tastings or different kinds of pairings or different things, you know, we'll watch all those, uh, those cooking shows on TV and I love listening to the judges because I love listening to all the adjectives they come up with to explain how they you know, like the food. And I think about what they do in between to be able to distinguish this taste to this one. And what they do is they cleanse the palate. They take something and they wash it down. And they get their mouth, swirl it around. Uh, a, a sommelier or someone with wine does the same thing. They just taste it and then they wash to get a new taste for the mouth. And that's the cleansing of the palate. And it's washed by the water. And if you just look at that from a biblical standpoint, I mean, it is just our, our, our scriptures and our, our, our Christian heritage is so rooted in this idea of washed by the water. Ephesians 5 says this, having cleansed by the washing of the water with the 
in baptism is this idea of dying to self and arising to life in Christ by immersion in the water. Um, and uh, it says there, First uh, Corinthians six, and that is as some of you were, but you were washed. Verse uh, six. Uh, chapter 6, verse 11, 1 Corinthians. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. So for some of you, I would challenge you this week, as you start your new week, it's Sunday before you go into Monday, just say, God, I would like to have a uh, cleansed palate, physically and spiritually. And maybe it's something that you do where you actually take a jug of water Take a sip, swirl around, spit it out, and say, God, this day, this week, I consecrate this week. I cleanse my palate to be prepared for the things that you have for me to experience. It's the first one, cleanse the palate. <clears throat> second one, write this down, cleanse the palate. And the second one is to sample God's goodness. And we talked about that um, uh, Psalm 34, to taste and see. I remember um, we went to... Um, Africa. We were in Zimbabwe and Zambia, uh, Victoria Falls, and doing some safari and some stuff out there. And we went to this one restaurant, this one famous restaurant where we were able to experience a lot of different foods and culture. And they had dancing, and you know, we were able on this hillside. We see all these elephants and giraffes. It was just crazy. It was really awesome. It's called the the Bobo Restaurant. And I remember going, and they have like a buffet of foods, and they're all labeled. Some are labeled, and some weren't. The ones that weren't made me nervous. And then they had just these bowls of different things. It was really cool. But I'm like, what is this? Because it, it looked like, it looked like, you know, like they, like they toasted pumpkin seeds. And they're like, oh, Pastor John, th- those are beetles. And, that, and, and, I, and then we have this kind and this kind and this kind. And they're showing me all these beetles. And I'm like, whoa. And I'm looking at it closer. And, and people were like dishing them out like it was no big deal. And not like a little bit like, hey, I'll try one. They were dishing them out like in big, big portions. And I have a hard time eating bugs. I mean, just straight up. They were talking about a delicacy. I'm like, yeah, in my world, it's called a bug. We have exterminators that take care of those. Uh, but the, the, they're like, no, try and see. And I'm like, I have a hard time eating anything with an eye, with eyes looking at me. And so I tried <laughs> And I'm tasting, and they were actually pretty good. It tastes like chicken. Um, but I was trying these, trying these different things. And it goes back to the sampling, the sampling of God's goodness. Sampling of it in the world, even actually tangibly through food. Um, I, I love the idea of a charcuterie board. We do charcuterie boards all the time. And my kids love it because they just like put crazy stuff on there. And I'm just like, ooh, I'd like to try that. And I'd like to try this. And I, you know, and I, I always think I'm just going to have just a little light thing because it's a charcuterie board. And I walk away with the board and all full and everything. But it's sampling. And literally, I'm sampling the flavors and tastes and different things. But it's the same thing in, it, that's literal. And then the figurative to say, I want to sample God's goodness. I want to taste it and see. I want to I step out in faith and try this. I want to taste, uh, I, I, God, I'm tasting this. You're calling me to this and I'm, I'm, I'm leaning into it. That's a, that's a sampling of God's goodness for you. So this week, sample something. Sample something literal and something figurative to say, I'm going to try something and see God's goodness in this whole thing for me. So cleanse your palate. Sample God's goodness. The next one. Savor 
God's faithfulness. Savor God's faithfulness. I, I love this passage about, about savoring because the, this point and the, and the next point, what I think of is tri-tip uh, because um, I'm a big red meat guy, not going to lie. And um, I love grilled meat. I love smoked meat. I, I love just when, and then, and then it's a whole parent. And I, when I have a meal, um, I, I, I don't just eat it. I sit there and I honor it. And sometimes I, and somebody's like, you're not eating it. I said, yeah, no, I'm just honoring. I'm just honoring what I'm about to take right now. And it's savoring that food. And when you think of God's faithfulness, it takes me to this passage, Psalm 37, verse 4. He says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself like, it's like, it's, it's that plate of food and going, ah. Oh. And it's in the spiritual life. It's like, it's like the faithfulness of God. Like God has done so much. Oh, I don't have to, in prayer, we always think of prayer, I got to keep talking. No, I just got to just enjoy. Um, where I live, um, we wake up and we see the sun come over um, uh, a little mountain range called the Nicene Forest of the Nicene Marks. And the sun comes up over and then we get this cool sunrise and we can see all the way down to the ocean. And my wife and I will stand on our balcony and we, and we don't say anything. We're just like, in my mind, I'm thinking, God is so good. He's so faithful to us. He's provided for us and met our needs. To delight yourself. So take a moment this week and some sort of thing and savor, like city, whether it's a meal or it's a thing. God, you've been so faithful to us and savor in that. So we've got cleanse your palate, sample God's goodness, savor God's faithfulness. The next one is marinate in God's promises. Marinate in God's promises. So I mentioned the red food, red, red meat. And man, when it comes to tri-tip, um, something about doing, a, just letting it marinate for a while, just letting it sit for a while and having it in there and you've got all these different herbs and spices and different things that you let it, and you just let it, allowing it just to soak into it. So by the time you've grilled or smoked that meat, these flavors are coming in. And when you think about the promises of God, which includes his faithfulness, it includes his goodness, it includes his provision and protection and love and like, like love that we, that's hard to understand because while we were yet sinners, he sent his son to die for us. Like that's that sacrificial love that, well, I love people. I don't love them enough to sacrifice my own kid for them. God has done this so much that it's part of his promises that when you marinate in them, what does marinating do? It seeps into who you are to marinate in God's promises. In Psalm chapter one, I'll just read it to you real quick. It has this whole idea of marinating. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the ways of sinners or sit in the company of the mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and he meditates, he marinates in it, in that law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither and die. Whatever he does prospers. And so there's this idea of just, God, you have promises for us, for your people. And I'm going to let that seep into me to marinate on his promises. And then the last one, 
is uh, a challenge, is discovering your taste. Discovering your taste, opening up your world a little bit, taking a, a step of faith, like that story about trying the, t- the Thai food for me. I had to step out into something that was new. And all of a sudden I realized, wow, this is something, this just opened up my world. Well, when you discover your taste, the things that you, uh, that, that, th- wow, these things are really, I really like these things. You kind of get a repertoire of food and things in restaurants and places that you go that is part of your taste. And I think about this, when you discover your gifting and how God has wired you and how God has made you, and you discover that more and more and you lean into that, what you're doing is, is you're in a rhythm in a world where you're like, these things are so good. Uh, Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says, we're, we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. I think that's a as you discover it, God has prepared me, equipped me with gifts, skill sets, spiritual gifts. And as I lean into that, I begin to discover my taste, discover what um, God has for me and that sweet spot for me to be in ministry and to do the things I'm going to do. I met somebody earlier today uh, at a school campus um, who was um, a longtime missionary in Mexico. And he was sharing his story. And I said, how long? And he said, it was like 40 years. And he says, it's not a big deal. It's just my little slice of heaven. And meaning he builds houses, he builds clinics, he hosts all kinds of events. And he just said, I'm going to lean into what I'm good at. I don't need to change the world. I just need to change what God's given me. I I need to lean into that. And he discovered what his taste was his gifting, his cumulative life experience, and that God had designed him that way to be able to do that. So that's what I want to share with you today. And my prayer is that for this week, as you move into Monday and to the following week, and I'll be with you the next week, um, move into this following week, that through the sense of taste, God has reminded you of himself, that you're tasting and sensing and seeing and experiencing his goodness in your life. So let me pray. And then the band will come up. We'll have a time of worship. And um, we'll see you guys the following week. So, Father, we just commit our time to you this day. And we thank you for um, your word and how it impacts us. We thank you for the gift of taste and what it has done for us, obviously, literally, as we get to experience your creation, but figuratively, as we look at it in our own lives, in our spiritual context, to be who you have designed us to be and to grow and to test and see and to taste and see and experience more what you have. Father, my prayers for those that are here, those that are hearing my voice and those that are with us online, that they are leaning into that more and allowing the senses to grow them more into the person of of Jesus Christ. We thank you for our time. We come to you in worship in Christ's name. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you guys.